10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon. This time is 1pm on Sunday, the 5th of December, and you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse, on Teachers Talk Radio. In today's show, it's the second installment of my pastoral CPD clinic, and today we're doing a much-loved deep dive into rewards and sanctions. Both are often delicate balancing acts that, of course, do not operate in a vacuum, but I do wonder how close schools can get to getting it right. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. Thank you to those that are already, already in the studio, front of the queue came straight in as soon as doors were open. I very much appreciate it. Welcome to the Sunday Lunch Show with me. My name is Khalil Rouse, and this is the Sunday Lunch Show on Teachers Talk Radio. If you're a first-time listener and just stumbled into the studio, just give me a little message in the chat, because I do wonder how many people just open Podbean, see that someone is saying something, and then just kind of jump into the studio. I rate people that do that. Um, so just let me know. If you're a first-time listener, you've never listened to me before, it'd be good to know. Um, that you're here first and foremost, and also first and foremost, and also where you're listening from, if you're connected to teaching or the education sector in some way, and so on and so forth. Um, as I've mentioned in today's show, this is what I've called the Pastoral CPD Clinic. Came up with it um, last week, pretty much <laughs> last week, and that was just because I kept tweeting about how um, I feel like there's just a gap in CPD for a pastoral issues, the softer side. So not just teaching and learning, but all the other soft stuff that kind of goes with running a school. We spend a lot of time on, on of course, teaching and learning, because that is, of course, the most important thing, except for safeguarding. The most important thing in school is teaching and learning. Um, um, but I feel like there's not enough time dedicated to really get into grips with all the pastoral issues in school. Wow. <laughs> I just kind of coughed on nothing there. Um, pastoral issues in school. If you're wondering what my pastoral CPD clinic number one was, I did that last week, and you can find that on Podbean. You can also find that on Spotify, and you can find it on all your kind of podcasting platforms. Um, you can head to ttradio.org forward slash listen back. And if you just search for my name, or you search for pastoral, or you search for pastoral CPD, or something along those lines, I'm sure you'll find pastoral CPD clinic one the topic of which was building positive relationships with students and also delved in a little bit into different ways of dealing with low-level disruption in the classroom and so on and so forth. Listen, I'm not an expert. I'm very opinionated <laughs> and I, I'm very passionate about all this stuff, but I encourage debate um, and I do encourage anyone to call in and grapple, call in and agree, call in and disagree, message and agree, message and disagree, um, because there's no right answer for every context. Um, as they say, everything works somewhere, but not so, what well, everything works somewhere, but not everything works everywhere. No, something works somewhere, but not everything works everywhere. Something like that. That's a worthwhile phrase in the pastoral world. Something will work somewhere, but not everything works everywhere. So there's there's always kind of peaks and troughs to this stuff. I would do wonder how your week has been. Let me know. I've seen people in the chat. I've got the old. I've got the old heads, the regulars. 
We've got Rogers History in the chat, TSCW's in the chat, uh, Miss Kato Stem, shout out to you. We've also got um, Germ Johnson Insurance, very official, um, in the chat. PM Davis, nice to see you in the chat and some other people as well. Um, I do wonder how your week's gone. Two weeks until Christmas doesn't seem right. I don't know why it feels... I feel like we've just broken up early. I'm assuming, let me know in the chat, I'm assuming most people are fortunate enough to break up on the 17th. Just let me know if that's you. If you are unfortunate enough to break up after the 17th, then share and we can we can have a bit of sympathy for you. If you break up before the 17th, then no need to message into the chat. We don't need to see it. <laughs> we don't need to see it. But I broke up on the 17th. So two weeks. It, it seems doable. It literally seems doable. Like you can just forward roll down December Hill into Christmas and just get through it. What has been a very, very busy and very difficult term for most. But isn't that always the case in teaching, I feel? But maybe this more than others. Um, why? I don't know. Maybe stuff to do with COVID, probably. But I do feel like um, it's just been tough. In my role, it's been tough. I feel like it's been the first year where I've actually thought um, about saying to my line manager, etc., like, ah, oh, this is actually quite tricky, or this is a bit overwhelming, or this is a bit, there's a lot going on here. Um, and I don't feel like I had to do that before. So it's been a bit of a, an interesting experience for me. TSCW comes in and said 17th as well, although our sixth form finishes on the 16th. Um, so you're not teaching on the 17th. That's a day. You might as well take a, take a day. Take a day. Um, I don't think I'll let you take a day. But not teaching on the last day sounds like the most ideal end to term. I am the most ideal end to term. Imagine just trot, I trot in. You know that meme of the guy, there's, I think it's a black guy going down the street. And he's a bit old school, wearing flared trousers, and he's strutting. And he's, I'm currently doing the motion, but I'm off camera, so you obviously can't see me. But hopefully you guys know the me I'm talking, or a gif, sorry, I should say. Um, that's how I'd be going to work on the 17th if I knew I didn't have to teach a single lesson. That sounds ideal. I think I'd, I don't know what I'd do. I'd try to just get loads of stuff done, but then probably think, ah, I'll fall into that standard trap of, oh, I'll just get it done in the Christmas holiday. And then, I don't know about you guys, but I think for the last 10 years, I have planned to get things done at the start of the Christmas holiday before things take off, before the festivities kick in, because I say to myself, once the festivities kick in, I won't want to do any work. And then what happens? The days roll by and then it gets to like Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. And you're thinking, ah, it's Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. Mm, it's Christmas Eve, Eve next tomorrow. And then before you know it, it's Christmas Eve and then it's Christmas. It's Christmas. So you're running out of time. So I don't know about you lot. I don't know if I'm going to be doing work over Christmas. I feel like I need to a little bit. I feel like I just got to get my stuff together. There's so many things that are just on the kind of long-term, medium-term to-do list that I just haven't been able to get done because of the hustle and bustle of the school term that I just need a day or two just dedicated with no kids knocking at my door, no staff knocking at my door, no lessons to teach. I just be able to dedicate just sorting out stuff. But hasn't happened for ages. So um, first time, listen, first time for everything. First time for everything. Let me know how your week has been. Mine, you ask? My end of the week was a strange one. Very strange one. Um, just seeing PM Davis in the chat saying, afternoon, week spent isolated at my folks in Ireland after COVID struck. Sorry to hear it. Due home on Wednesday. I hope you're feeling okay, PM Davis, 77. I'm going to full username you. Um, I hope you're feeling okay. Shame to hear about um, COVID. Quick question, PM Davis. Was it was it Omicron? And if it were, if it was, how did they let you know? And do you know what's the situation these days? If you unfortunately test positive for COVID, do they say you've got COVID? Hashtag Omicron. I don't 
is how's it work? Because it's a genuine question, and I'm making light of the situation. But oh, I know who you are, Pastoral Pete. I know who you are, Pastoral Pete. We've interacted a little bit on um on Twitter, uh, so thank you for joining the show. I hope you're going to get involved. You've got Pastoral in your name, so I've got high expectations. Just one part of the uh, rewards and high expectations comes hand in hand in rewards and sanctions, uh, just to say. But I've got high expectations. Thanks for joining, Pastoral Pete. I'm just going to call you Pete, probably. Um, yeah, my end of the week was a weird one. So I had a um, we had the SLT night out on a Thursday, and no, I can hear people in the background thinking, "Oh, is he going to talk about it?" No, of course not. I'm not going to talk about it in detail. Um, but I had that on Thursday, and then I worked. I had a course on Friday that meant I worked from home on Friday, and that just threw everything out of kilt, like off kilter. The whole my whole end of the week was just a weird. And I didn't really know what was going on. I tweeted about it saying, I don't really know what day of the week it is now because I was out on a Thursday. That's weird. And I didn't go, inverted commas, into work on the Friday. So it just felt strange. I didn't, when it got to that day after the course, I didn't really know what day it was. It felt like a Sunday. Also felt a bit like a Friday. Didn't really know what was going on. But that happened. Um, if you're wondering what course it was, it was the MPQSL. I started that um, through a thing called the Ambition Institute. And the only reason I'm starting the MPQSL now is I found out that they got rid of the five or eight or 10 or however many thousands of words assessment at the end or the write-up. The course I'm doing doesn't have that anymore, which is probably the best news I've heard in my professional career over the last two, three years. Um, so yeah, I've got the MPQSL doing that and it doesn't involve a lengthy write-up. There is an assessment at the end, but not a massive thesis, which is wonderful. What else is on my mind before I get into the main part of the show? Oh, do you know what's on my mind? That tweet about printing two sides of A4 on the same side of A4 so that you can fit two worksheets on the page. I can't believe how much traction that got on Twitter. I genuinely, genuinely thought that was a standard, well-known thing that you could set it to two sheets per page and then just put page one, page one, and then it'll just print. I, gen I just thought that was so bog standard. Then I saw tweets upon tweets upon quote tweets upon, oh my God, this has revolutionized my teaching. I'm just thinking, what are you, what? I just feel sorry for people. Mate, that's what we need CPD on, on, on um, using copies and printing. It's certain things like that you take for granted though, isn't it? And also CPDs on Excel, because there's a certain generation of teachers that are very, very good on Excel. There's also a certain generation of teachers that are not, good on Excel and do things in a very, very slow way because they don't understand the efficiency of edits of Excel. So I yeah, there's certainly there's a gap, isn't there? Um so yeah, it was just strange to see so many professionals just elated at the thought of being able to print two worksheets to one side of A4 rather than I don't know what people are doing instead. Let me know what you're doing instead. If you are one of those people who heard the inverted commas hack and thought, this has now revolutionized my teaching career. What were you doing before? I do wonder. What were you doing before? Let me know. Um, so here we go. Pete, so you didn't have a clue. Wow. Pete, can I just ask, did you know that you could print two sheets per page? That's my question. If you knew you could print two sheets per page. Wow. Oh, my. <laughs> we need to do some. There is a gap. There is a, oh my, wow. Right, can someone call in, please? Can someone call in? I just want to know, people, people just doing, did you guys think that printing was just A4 and A4 only? And that was it. And you can only print in the right, do you know you can print in whatever order you want? You just got to put the pages 
into the into the page the the page select bit and print whatever page you want you don't have to print every document every document in order um wow i could back to back <laughs> i could back to back a booklet fair enough wowzers crazy I, yeah i genuinely thought um Right, so what people are saying is we've got uh, TSCW saying they didn't, they also didn't know that you could print two to a page and then also make it the same page by just repeating the page number. So if you're wondering what I'm talking about, if you only have a one page worksheet and you want to not waste paper because it doesn't need to be an A4 worksheet, you can go into your printer settings um, on Word or whatever it is, and then you can select how many pages you want per sheet and you can make it two, you can make it four, you can make it six. And then in order to just keep it, to double it up, you just say page one, comma, page one. So then it will print one and then one, both on the same side of A4. You get your, your guillotine and you snip, snip. <laughs> and then you snip, and then you snip it down the middle with a guillotine. The reason why I'm laughing is because I, I don't know if TSCW saw my tweets on this. I tweeted something about this and I was saying, I wonder if people are just using snipping tool and snipping their document and putting it and then moving it and then whatever else and then as a caveat i said i bet there's someone reading this that doesn't even know what the snipping tool is let me not act like i was an absolute genius all the time with kind of <laughs> with, with um um like what hacks of word but not word microsoft windows etc snipping tool i found out about a few years back one of my co yeah it's one of those things you would never think to search for something called snipping tool it does take someone to to just come and show you it, I guess. And one thing I realized recently or didn't know existed, sticky notes. Didn't know they existed. Sticky notes, didn't know they existed. On Word, not Word, I keep saying Word, on Microsoft sticky notes, that was a revelation for me this year. Never knew it was a thing. If you don't know what sticky notes are, if you use Windows, um, it's just an inbuilt app of sorts. And what the, the benefit is, so it's a good thing to just on the fly, when you click on the, the icon for sticky notes, up pop maybe one or two square post-it notes on your screen, electronic post-it notes, essentially. The good thing about sticky notes is um, you can just click on the, the icon again, so just minimize it, and then you can open it, and you can minimize it, and you can do like multiple sticky notes, and it does help just on the fly. If you need to write something down, you can have all your kind of um, to-do lists or immediate reminders on your sticky notes. You can just kind of flick them off and on, flick them off and on, flick them off and on. Um, they are useful. I do use them a little bit and I've fallen out of using them recently, but I went through a phase of using sticky notes. So I recommend getting into those as well. Um, I'm trying to think about any other things that happen on the um, on Windows before I get into the main part of the show. <laughs> and then, yeah, TSCW says that, first of all, they love a sticky note. And secondly, that their whole class feedback goes on the sticky note. And yeah, it's just a useful note, like something that you know you don't need to keep, per se, like something that you're just going to, like you would do on a post-it note, you'd write down a post-it note, when it's done, scrunch it up, alley-oop, or not alley-oop, Michael Jordan it into the bin, same thing with a, with a virtual sticky note. If you know it's something that you actually don't need to save, you don't need to make a whole document for it, you just need to write some stuff down that you're going to use and then discard, it is worthwhile. Yes, yeah, so I guess that's the kind of the loop hole for sticky notes, because they save automatically, you don't have to save them, they're just there. You have to actively delete them so that they're gone. Yeah. Um, and another thing that came up before I get into the actual purpose of the show, I wonder what you guys think about this. I tweeted something. The question I asked was, who are the best staff members to 
to befriend in school? And I have my answer. And I'm talking about not teachers, I'm talking about all adults that are staff in school. If you think tactically, who would you want to be on very, very good terms with in order to make your time at school as positive as possible? And I yeah, <laughs> I know what I went for. I went for canteen stuff. 100% canteen stuff. But then we've got site team is up there. Site team was my number, was my second one. And then caretakers. Yeah, caretakers and site team because you, I know that I'm someone who leaves quite late. And if you've got the site team on side, they leave you locking up your room to the end and they don't rush you out and they're okay. Um, but can, yeah, canteen, I'll see Pete, canteen is up there because if if the canteen staff, whether that's male, female, whoever, um, if they're on side, you get the bigger portions, you get the extra desserts, you can ask them to put a plate aside for you. Um, <laughs> look, so, Serbia's coming really diplomatic. I'm not being diplomatic on this Sunday afternoon, Serbia. Um, canteen staff, you get your, you can give them a little, oh yeah, could you just save me a plate, please? Or you kind of, oh, I'm in a meeting later. Can you put a plate to one side for me, please? All that kind of stuff. They'll only do that if they're really on side and you've niced them up a little bit. Sobia has come in as Miss Diplomatic. Sobia, I really enjoyed your show earlier. Sobia did a show earlier. Um, someone, Sobia comes in with so many niche ideas. She had someone on who's involved in a thing called the Hip Hop Orchestra. And they end up talking about um, hip hop music and grime and rap and it's, how you can kind of um, intertwine that with classical and stigma attached to different types of music and so on and so forth and how it can affect kids in school. Really deep conversation about quite a niche topic. Um, and yeah, it just hooked me in. It hooked me in and I was just getting into it, talking about grime and rap and the impact that it can have on young people and so on and so forth. But Sobia said in the chat, she needs to be on good terms with everyone. Don't think tactically. Leadership is service to all. <laughs> just for the record, saying that I'm on good terms, I'm not saying I'm on bad terms with anyone, but I'm just saying, who's you on that nice rapport with, that little nice rapport that just really, really, I'm not saying that I'm not going to be friendly with everyone. I'm a leader of the school. I get all that. But if you, if you had to choose someone to tactically befriend in order to just make your day a little sweeter, I think it'll be the site team or the canteen staff. Just gonna say that. Just saying it. Sobia, you can well, you can be the diplomatic one of us. I'm gonna be the non, I'm gonna be the non-diplomatic one. Right. It's about time to get into rewards and sanctions. So I'm gonna run the intro one more time and then let's get into this. I feel like I've done a Graham Column. Shout out to Graham Column. He's uh he's known for having a topic of a show and then taking a long time to get into it because he just goes off on numerous tangents and I love it. I feel like I've done a Graham Column. So I've just paid homage to Graham Column today by going off on a tangent of my own before getting into the main event. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon again, it is now 1.19 on Sunday the 5th of December and you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. In today's show it's the second instalment of my pastoral CPD clinic and we're going to do a much loved deep dive into rewards and sanctions. Both are often delicate balancing acts that of course do not operate in a vacuum, but I do wonder how close schools can get to getting it right. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash LSW slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. 
Right. Let's get into it. Rewards and sanctions. And on in the spirit of positive framing, let's start with rewards. And we need to get some interaction here. It's only me. No scheduled guests. You know how I like to do it sometimes. If you had control over a whole school rewards system that you could build from scratch, because I know we often go into schools where the reward systems are already there and then maybe you have to tweak them. But what kind of, I know I'm not, I'm not asking for the minutia of it, but what would be the elements that you would try to put in place or to implement in order to make the reward system, first of all, rewarding, but also one thing that I think we, we need to also make sure to think about when we're doing reward systems is not um, undermining the value of intrinsic motivation. And of course, intrinsic motivation comes from numerous kind of um, influences rather than just the, um, what happens at home. You've got the culture of the school. Some kids just have more, nat well, not natural. Some kids have just been brought up to be more intrinsically motivated without any external intervention whatsoever, but not every student's like that. So in an ideal world, surely we would want kids to be intrinsically motivated. And that comes from the school culture, the ethos, the vision, the everything else but if we just focus on the extrinsic stuff if you could create one or maybe you've got one in your school that you actually think has value just share it in the chat so we can see what people are doing i'll share what my school does and i'm not saying of course like this is the the, the elixir of life action hero teachers and that you've not been in the studio for a while mr carl poupe welcome it's a pleasure to have you here you just come at the right time so I'll talk about what my school does um, with rewards and what, also what I've experienced. And it'll be worth seeing what you guys are experiencing, what the pitfalls are, what you found to be good, what are the ones that you found to be shoddy, and so on and so forth. So I'm going to, you know what, let me start with a previous school. And they start, they tried to do something that has, I think it had weight, it just never got off the ground. Um, and what they used to use was a thing called class charts. And... Class charts is, I think some of you in the platform have probably used it before. It's just an all-encompassing kind of pastoral-ish network system. And class charts was used in a way where you could electronically put on positive points and also negative points on a kind of net balance scale. You can have positive, negative scores, go up and down, up and down. And what one of my good friends at the time tried to create essentially was not just points for points sake. I think that's pointless. That's a lot of points. <laughs> Not just, you don't accrue points for points sake, but he attached a more tangible element to it. And that always becomes a bit interesting when you put something tangible on rewards for, for school children, I think, because we don't want to fall into the trap of rewarding students with like, un, I'm going to describe it, of course not expensive, but tangible rewards for things for like going to school and doing the right thing. Okay, cool. But you should want to go to school and do the right thing because it's the right thing to do first and foremost. And you don't, I don't think you, you, I think you always need to strike a balance between making sure if you are going to give something tangible, then it shouldn't, how am I going to phrase this? It shouldn't detract away or like divert their attention massively, massively, massively away from what matters when you're in the building, when you're being educated. By that, I mean, I don't know, monetary things like vouchers. and Because if you put value on things like money and possessions, then maybe it sends a message that you actually don't want to send. So I guess that's where I'm going. I don't, I don't know if I always feel comfortable with some sort of rewards that end up giving kids something that has a monetary value, like a voucher. I don't know how much I agree with that. Um, 
But the, the counter argument is kids want that. <laughs> That's the counter argument. Counter argument, it will work. Like if you said to kids, you're going to get a voucher to go and shop at JD Sports for 20, 40 pounds, it works. And I think if you are going to do those, then it needs to be for something really, 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 really impressive, but also um, not regular, I don't think. I don't think you should be regularly giving out monetary rewards. But let me know what you think. This is just me. I don't. I worked in a school. I think, what do they do? The, if, I think they are tied it to attendance, and I agree with that. And the reason I agree with that is 100% attendance is flipping difficult. For adults, that's difficult, let alone for kids. I do think there's value in saying, do you know what, if you can come to school every single day, then yes, we can give you something at the end of the, maybe you can do it on a termly basis or a yearly basis. I think maybe then you can say, we can maybe ramp up these rewards. But on the day-to-day -day scale, when it's doing things like homework and behaving well, and I don't know, um, helping around school, I don't think you should place too much value. Um, or, or shine too much of a light on really monetary rewards. But let me think, let me know what you guys think in the chat. Um, so we've got Pete said, well, actionary teachers in, he's just saying thanks. We've got Pete saying they should be achievable, well publicized, and linked to values. Agreed. First and foremost, your school should have values. If it doesn't, then it, I feel like you need to start there because you need to shine a light on what you actually want the kids to be doing positively before you start thinking about how we're going to reward them and also how we're going to sanction how we're going to get to. Um, achievable, I agree with. I think the reg regular rewards are good um, and are necessary, but I don't think you should reward things that will reward kids for just doing what's reasonably expected of them. And I'm going to really kind of hone in on the word reasonably. So, for example, like if a kid, like kids often in my classrooms, they just complete the work and they look at me and expect me to now give them merits. And I don't, but that's, I think that's only my principle. Um, I don't know if that's the same for every teacher. I don't think it is. I think there's a lot of teachers, not only in my school and other schools um, that do, if a kid finishes the work, they might give them a merit because they, I don't know, did it the quickest or something or whatever else. And I, it's just never sat well with me for rewarding kids extrinsically for doing what they were reasonably expected to do. Do I give them verbal praise and well done and excellent, I'm really proud of you, of course. And that has a lot of merit and a lot of value. And I think sometimes that's actually more valuable and more long lasting in generating the right positive culture in the classroom and around school. But I personally, and I, when I do my sessions on rewards and merits and stuff, I try to say, when you have positive extrinsic rewards, I don't think it should be for things that kids are reasonably expected to do in the classroom anyway. I don't think we should extrinsically reward that. We should definitely motivate and definitely promote positive culture and definitely verbally um, praise them. But extrinsic, no, I don't agree personally. Let me know what you guys think on that. Um, so, yeah, Sobia said, oh, sorry. Pete goes on to say, our rewards are the opportunity to take part in an end-of-term opportunity. That's nice. I like that. That's a nice, that's nice idea. I think there's schools that do, like, rewards trips and those kind of things. And if you and that's linked to the number of merits you get or the number of positive points you get and the more positive points you get the better chance you have of taking part in that on that trip i think kids value that um but then i guess the counter is the kid who never thinks they're going to get on it because their behavior is just not that great well maybe that's that's not going to motivate them anymore so what happens to that kid if you get what i mean like if it's if you need to get so and so points in order to get something really really great I hope that I'm imagining something that's in the middle 
for those kids who unfortunately maybe won't get that something great because their behaviors their behavioral conduct or or um attitude to learning or effort isn't up there but they still need some sort of motivation so what's the middle ground um and then yeah pete saying that he agrees when i was talking about i think when i was talking about not giving it for just doing what's reasonably expected but that it should be for consistent performance agreed that's the thing it's always it's the kids that do the right thing day in day out without doing anything really amazing so when i say amazing i mean maybe i don't know maybe they're not the most vocal in the classroom for example maybe they're not the they're not the um the kid who's the inverted commas the highest achieving kid in that particular subject so likes to contribute and likes to do extra work and likes to make really pertinent points You've got the kids who just do the right thing every day, but they often get overlooked. So we also need a reward system that somehow recognizes that. But then how do you do that? How do you, how do you monitor and recognize someone who just does the right thing every day, but isn't high profile? Genuine question. I don't have the answers. I'm just throwing out, I'm just throwing out questions. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't have the answer for that one. And then, so then Pete's gone on to say that they, re so he's talking about his rewards and he says that we reset each term to allow those who may have genuine mitigating circumstances over the term, um, excellent conduct, attendance, punctuality. We all want someone to acknowledge high performance over time, including getting the basics right daily and greet. How do you monitor who gets the basics right? I, I don't know. How, how do you monitor? Or is there a way that we can, give teachers opportunities to nominate people. There, there, there's that, isn't there, maybe? I know some schools do like teacher nominations. We do teacher awards every term and that kind of stuff. Often it's linked to the number of merits you accrue, but also if you link it to values, then it's less about the number of extrinsic merits you've accrued and just if you do the right thing every day. So we have um, teachers are able to then nominate and we put an emphasis on nominate someone for this value or this value or this value. And we say to them, we're looking for people who do the right thing every t every day consistently and then they get there obviously they, they're celebrating our assemblies and then i can't remember what happens with them i feel like they get entered into some draw by the end of the year but teachers will know who's just doing the right thing and maybe gets overlooked because they're not doing anything really amazing or standing out in what they're doing in the lesson they're just getting it right so i guess you need to give in your award system an opportunity for teachers to shout those guys out as well and i use guys in the in the kind of gender spanning sense but i should say those those kids as well um then yeah so then pete's gone on to say that he tweeted the other day about reasonable adjustments so those have genuine barriers agreed I've, i think i've worked in schools where they've created new um they've adjusted behaviors both positive and negative so both rewards and sanctions they've adjusted them for pupils with special educational needs and disabilities who success just looks different for them doesn't it yeah success looks different and then they get rewarded maybe in a slightly different way or have certain privileges or something else because if they struggle with with their attention or they struggle with some sort of access to the work or they struggle with i don't know they could struggle with their mobility or whatever else then if they're able to focus for i don't know five minutes in relative terms that's a massive massive success and maybe that is beyond what's reasonably expected so then surely we should also have some sort of system that recognizes that it may have to be slightly different, but as Pete's saying, it is important to, and when we go on to sanctions in the same way, sanctions can't be a one size fits all either. You can't have the same sanction approach 
for every kid. You've got to have reasonable adjustments for kids that struggle with their own self-discipline for genuine reasons. So we'll go on to sanctions later. Um, Sobia's talking about postcards, positive phone calls. Agreed. But can, can I be really cynical, Sobia? And, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think teachers do them enough. I don't think I've been in a school where there's a culture of teachers doing them enough. And I'm myself included. And I, yeah, like, I just don't, I just don't think there's a culture of it. I've not worked in a school yet where I feel like teachers take the time consistently to make contact with home for positive reasons. I've not worked in school to, to that extent. Um, if you have, it'd be interesting to hear and how that came about and everything else, because I just don't think I've been, I feel like they do it when someone maybe had a, a bad start and now they're good. So they're like, oh, let me call home, just let them know how great they've been. Yeah, but what about the kid who's been doing great the whole time? So yeah, I guess I've just, I'm just being cynical around that. I just don't feel like I've been in a, in a school that that's the, where it's normalized. Most contact with, with parents and, and, and teachers about behavior or conduct in lessons is negative. But yeah, how do you normalize that? How do you create a culture of that? That comes obviously from the top down, but there needs, needs, time needs to be dedicated to it, maybe. You need to enable teachers to do it because you need to think about what are the barriers that are stopping teachers from having these positive phone calls? Is it time? If it's time, then how do we as leaders, if I'm talking from a leadership perspective, create an environment where we, we if we think it's that important, then we should be able to dedicate time to it and give it give teachers the time to do it rather than just saying ah oh, you should try to do some positive phone calls and they everyone knows positive phone calls work but not everyone does them all the time why so i guess that's something to think about as well and I'm, i've seen messages coming through so hopefully we've got some feedback on that um wow yep yeah, there's a lot this is good we're getting there so we've got pete has come back in um and he says yet yeah, stars of the week half-termly celebration assemblies achievement points all build a picture backed up by terminators. I think, yeah, definitely half-term celebrations using the data from the half-term is powerful. Achievement assemblies on a regular basis, powerful. Um, just creates the right atmosphere. Celebrating the success in turn makes those that maybe aren't getting it right at least know, what to ex know what's expected of them. And you shine a light on those doing it right that more so than you, obviously, no one wants to shine a light on people doing it wrong. Um, but yeah, assemblies and achievements, very, very powerful. And as Pete's gone on to say, it's a fine balancing act between keeping the bar of expectations high and recognizing those varying perceptions of success. Agreed. Because it's, it's that situation where you, what, you have the high expectations of everyone, but just some pupils need more support getting there. And some pupils need more adjustments made in order, or more help to get there and adjustments made when they don't reach it. But you should have the same expectation. Your expect, expectations shouldn't lower because a child has either SEND or some sort of uh, behavioral, medically diagnosed behavioral issues, um, but they just need more support, more adjustments made, whether that's timeouts, whether that's support in the classroom, whether that's a different behavior system, whether that's different things like that. Um, and that should apply to the awards as well. And Sobers come back in and said, instead of phone calls, try texting. It works. Um, I don't know if you're talking to me specifically, um, but yeah, texts work. And again, I just don't know why is there a, um, texts are good, but then I think I've worked in schools where tech, not everyone had the privileges to be able to send texts home um, from the computer system. But again, I just don't know. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's, I'm only, I can only speak from the experiences that I have had and I've seen. I just don't feel like there's a culture in a lot of schools. And again, I've not worked in many schools. I'm only going to more from what I've seen 
where teachers, um, where the whole school culture is, ah, right, it's, I don't know, Thursday evening or Friday evening, let me call home for all the kids I've done really well this week. I've not worked in a school where it's like that across the board. I've worked in schools where there are numerous teachers that do that because it's important to them um, and they make the time for themselves. But I don't feel like it's a, I've worked in a school where it's a kind of top-down mandated or not mandated, encouraged, like fervently encouraged. Um, but again, I can only speak from my own experiences, which is why you guys are here, because you can tell me what you've experienced. Ms. Cato Stem has come in and said that um, she specifically picks students who've done well in the lessons and calls home to tell their parents. Uh, is that every single week? And is it consistent is my question. Um, and are you calling the same people every week? What if the same kid does well two, three weeks in a row? Are we calling them two, three weeks in a row? Or do you have to do it on a rotation basis? I do wonder. Um, then we've got, yeah, Sober says she texts home for things. It does save time. Agreed. I send a lot of texts. Um, but I think in my role, in my previous roles as a head of year and everything else, a lot of my text conversations haven't been the most positive because of the nature of the job. But I've, I'm an advocate for it and I know it's positive, but I just do wonder why it's not, the, it's not normalized in schools from what I can tell from my own experiences. Um, yeah, so Ms. Cato Stem, it's something that she was told to do by her NQT mentor when she was training and it's just stuck with her. And then Pete's come back in to say, that every half term we have power play week um in the pen penultimate week all achievement <laughs> wow this sounds like a, it sounds like a game all achievement points doubled the opportunity to recognize those that may often slip through the net um following the last week of half term by recognition week calls postcards assemblies termly trips two weeks each half term where we shine a light on the positivity and catch those staff who don't do it systematically many do but these two weeks get people to do it nice I think that's when it, saying recognition week. So I think when I was talking about earlier, saying that if it's important to the to the to the school, then there should be time dedicated to it to shine a light on it, as opposed to just you guys should be making positive contact home. If it's really important, time should be dedicated to it to really raise its profile. And it sounds like in Pete's school, um, they've definitely raised the profile of praise. And I I do wonder. I'm assuming therefore that has this had, well, I'm asking whether this has had a positive, how much of a positive impact has this had on um, the climate for learning and everything else. Um, that comes from a lot of data crunching, and I don't expect you to give me the numbers and the stats and the percentages. But yeah, it sounds like your school does shine a light on positivity much more than most, maybe, maybe. Um, but the termly trips, I know obviously pre-COVID, I imagine that used to go on. I wonder how that's gonna, when that starts up again, and yeah, I like the fact you have two weeks each after I'm shining a light on the positivity. And it does, it would help for someone like me who doesn't do it systematically to have two weeks where it's like, guys, this is recognition week kind of thing. This is where you need to dedicate time to recognizing those kids have just got it right. That would make someone like me think, right, let me just pause what I've got in my other kind of spheres of, of um, work and focus on this now because it's, it must be important because they've given us a week to do it kind of thing they've called it something <laughs> and i think just naming it naming it does have an impact massively um indeed so i'm just gonna come to that sobia so miss kato sem says i don't call home every week i usually pick one student from each class every half term um last half term i focused on homework effort and this half term i focused on the best books um i guess the question becomes 
that would have a positive impact on the people that you call home for? Is this something that's advertised so that pupils know they're working towards it? Or is it something that catches them by surprise? Um, if it's the catch them by surprise, then of course your own culture and climate of the classroom will have an impact on everything. But that as a driving force for kids, if they don't know that it's a possibility, it wouldn't be a driving force, I guess. But it'd just be a nice... Um, Ah, so then she's come back in and said that, yes, she tells what the focus is, the start of half term. There we go. I think that's a missing bit. That's closing the loop on it um, because there's no, not no point, but sanctions that come as a kind of oh, surprise rather than we're working towards, not sanctions, rewards that come as a surprise rather than I'm looking for, and if you keep drumming that in saying this half term, this is my focus, this is my focus, and schools do that at large. Well, I think the best schools have their different foci for the half term and it's publicized to teachers and well sometimes the kids depends on what it is um and i think it if your classroom's a microcosm of that as well that sounds like a positive thing if you're saying right in my classroom this half term i'm looking for this and i'm going to focus my time on this and i'm going to remind you about this and then you've got a chance of winning this or having this recognition that sounds powerful as well um sobia said that the problem is we had an over-the-top positivity culture which became superfluous. There needs to be a balance. Indeed, if you always praise, then it loses its value, doesn't it? So there is a balance. And where that balance lies, I don't know. Um, but it's the same with like, um, so my school has merits. And then if, if a kid, like kids can rack up 10, 20 merits in a week, and I guess it works. And I'm going to talk, I want to talk about different ages in a moment. Wow, time is gone. Um, it works for the younger years, definitely. As the younger years just love it. Like merits, merits, merits. They love it, love it, love it. Merits results in different, you, if you get five merits and you get a positive text, get sent home. If you get 10 merits, you have a, a electronic postcard that gets sent home. 15 merits, your name goes on the plasma screen for the week as a celebration. And 20 merits, you're entered into the draw. And then what you can win in the drawers are numerous different things. But that's our kind of system of rewards. And I think it's working and it works for the year sevens, works for the year eights. I feel like it's dwindling now for year nines. And I feel like we need to get to a situation where we tweak it somehow. I don't know what that somehow is, but I just feel like the year tens and year elevens, they, they definitely like praise. Everyone likes praise. Adults like praise. But a year 11 is knowing that their name's gonna be on a plasma screen or getting a, a postcard home, is that gonna be enough, Not I say enough, is that even going to be some extrinsic motivation for them when they get to the age of 15, 16? If I think back to me as a 15, 16 year old, I don't think I'll be bothered anymore, if I'm honest, I'll be over it. So I guess I did tweet about a bit, a bit about how reward systems, in my opinion, should develop as kids get older to reflect a change in what might motivate them. What motivates a 16-year-old or 15-year-old? Praise, of course, in the kind of generic sense, but extrinsically, I feel like you should be trying to just develop your plan of rewards to be more suited to their age. But I don't know how often schools do that, or whether anyone in schools do that. Because what a kid, you think if you ask a kid, what do they want? I want to be able to use my phone in class or something ridiculous. You can't do that. But things around trips, definitely. Trips, anything to do with skipping queues at lunchtime. That would work for any kid of any, any that would work for adults, any kid of any age, for example. Privileges, being able to do something that other kids can't do, like, I don't know, some sort of activity at lunchtime or break time. 
that they would obviously enjoy doing, whether it's a sport, for example, it could be um, just a chill. Most kids just want to be able to chill, listen to music. I, if they said to me, you get this many merits, you get you and your mates can go to the something, the dance studio sports hall, um, and then play your music and have a good time at lunchtime, that would motivate me if I was kept reminding of it. Be like, yo, I want to get my time. I want to have some time in a sports hall just listening to music at lunchtime. But like, I guess you just need to develop it and, and it make it meet the needs or the motivations or whatever you want to call it of your students. Yeah, a lot of discussion there. And then Pete's come back in just to kind of round off the rewards part. Um, Pete said that their reward to sanction ratio is nine to one. Um, so they back it up with higher visibility of leaders to support wider climate. Um, interesting. Aim is to visit every lesson, every period over a, over a time, oh, sorry, over time, um, which has led to a decrease in instances of disruption. Not perfect, but getting there also helps to keep staff a bit more positive end of the term as energy levels drop. Um, yeah, I'm, I haven't got enough time to delve into visibility of leaders, but I do love the fact that you're trying to do Every, so if you got, I'm assuming you've got someone that's potentially on call or on supervising duty, whatever you want to call it. And when they're, when they're on that duty, they need to, they act, it's a proactive duty where you go around every single classroom. I'm assuming you've got two or three or however many on there. Um, is worthwhile. I think teachers value that visible SLT is something that um, non-SLT really value. I've known that from when I was a non-SLT to when I am a now an SLT. I know that visibility is huge um, because we're a team and you can't just be hiding away in your office. Um, and then Pete's come back in. Pete, it sounds like your school has got a lot to share on the on the positive rewarding front, and they're saying that they're trialing some golden tickets on lesson visits um, worth five achievement points and a pass to dodge the lunch queue for exceptional performance. Whoever's in, I'm assuming, is this, this sounds like this has been, some of these have been your brainchild, Pete, because the way that they're just firing off, I feel like you knew this session was coming, you saw the tweets about the show, and you thought, right, let me just, this is an opportunity to just share what you're doing in your school. So hopefully anyone that's listening back to the show or listening live can think of different ways of being a bit creative. So Pete said, golden tickets on lesson visits, a bit like Charlie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it sounds like you get your golden ticket. It means it bumps up, it's like a boost to your achievement points and you can then dodge the lunch queue and that's for exceptional performance in the classroom. I love that. A lunch kips, a lunch queue skip pass that's more regular and if kids knew that it was for exceptional performance might push some on might or if it could be a surprise thing who knows and my my bread my, my bread and butter love it love it love it love it right that was a lot about rewards and thank you everyone for your contributions and everything else um on the other side that was pretty much half of the show what i do want to mention actually is go on twitter I got a response from one of our former Teachers Talk Radio hosts, um, shout out to Kyle. Um, and Kyle kind of mentioned someone on Twitter called Tom Rush. And shout out to Tom Rush if you're listening, probably not. And Tom Rush, Kyle's kind of shouted out Tom Rush and said that he'd created the best reward system he'd ever seen. And this was by someone called Tom Rush. Um, and then I kept saying, tell me more, and no one told me anything. And eventually they did tell me something. So this is what Tom created. Uh, so this is not mine, just so just to kind of uh, to make it clear. So I'm going to read his tweets. What he said was, oh, need to scroll. I've lost it. Here we go. He said, um, every lesson, students earned currency for behavior, effort in lessons. And this is kind of done through Sims on a weekly basis. Any sanctions cost them. 
and you can if you went if students go above and beyond they would get bonuses then what he ended up calling them was a kind of weekly earnings and the weekly earnings were taxed by their attendance and every student was therefore given a kind of pay slip each week um with a summary of oh hold on i need to that's why twitter's not helping with a summary of their income their tax and their bonuses and this then got shared in the morning so they could compare them to one another's and it would drum up a bit of excitement. Um, then they got kind of, accept, they got assemblies and ran comparisons of boys versus girls. I don't know how I feel about that, but whatever. Competition is healthy if done in the right way. And then each half term, there was an auction that was kind of like half live and half on, a, on an eBay style website <laughs> that they built. And then they could use their currency to buy prizes which included things such as um it's interesting teacher homework where teachers would donate half an hour to help kids with their homework i don't know if it, I, is that just like pikachu i choose you kind of i've got a pass you now must help me with my homework i do wonder what that means but prize for teacher homework so he said where teachers would donate half an hour to help kids with the homework lunch menu design that is a that that if you said to a kid you do if there's a particular foci for this week, focus this week on in a positive situation, and those that do it have the opportunity to then pick your meal for the menu at lunchtime. Do you know how much buy I would be gassed? I would be I would be like, yo, let me get in this because I wanna have some I don't know what I'd ask for. But I feel like anything to do with food, kids will kids will buy into it. I don't I kid I think on any kind of autonomy over food choices, kids will buy into it. Then he's also said they could they could use it for fast passes for rewards trips, um, music or films in form time. And he also mentioned sweets as, again, something that they use their currency for. So this is something that he created. Tom Rush, that is. And oh, he said also, apparently um, you can get some interest if you keep your money over a holiday without spending it. So, again, maybe it's teaching kids some life skills as well. So that was a that was a kind of elaborate reward system that was created by Tom Rush. Um, so shout out to Tom Rush if you're listening. Someone at him on Twitter, tell him that I've given him a shout out. It's at underscore Tom Rush. So shout out to you. There's some publicity. Um, then, yeah, so then Sobers come back in and said conduct points and that they have something similar, but not as detailed. I think it's worthwhile if you are going to get kids to accrue points of some kind, they need to do something with them. Otherwise, what's the point? And you should, that's, that's, that seems quite simple. They must lead to something. And I think the more regular it is, pardon me, the more regular it is, the more impactful it is as well, I think, in my opinion. Of course, you can build up over the six weeks. Six weeks is a long time to keep it up. Um, but I think if you know you've got more frequent opportunities for worthwhile rewards, that will keep the momentum going. Um, but I guess the little caveat to end the section is, in an ideal world, you won't need as many extrinsic rewards uh, to motivate pupils because all pupils in an ideal world will be intrinsically motivated and the extrinsics will be reserved for those that go above and beyond what's reasonably expected of them. Above and beyond is the kind of ending on the reward section. As far as I'm concerned, you may disagree, you may agree, but thank you for your contributions. What we're going to do, we're going to take a break. So use this time to get a cup of tea, maybe. What time is it? It's nearly lunchtime. Maybe finish your lunch if you weren't already eating. I say finish it like you wouldn't be eating it during the show. Um, get yourself a drink if you weren't doing that already. Take a little break. It's the news. 
and we're going to hear from our sponsors. On the other side of this, we're going to go to the negative side of the of the school life. And we're going to talk about sanctions, what works, what doesn't work, schools getting it right. Will we ever get sanctions right and everything else? We'll discuss that in about five minutes. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Scotland school inspections will not go ahead as planned in the new year, according to a report in the TES. Education Scotland, the national inspection body, released a statement on Friday. In it, they refer to the ongoing challenges faced by schools and state that inspectors will not resume routine inspection programmes as originally planned. The article goes on to refer to planned recovery visits, which may take place from mid-February, but it stresses that this is only if COVID-19 allows and that these visits will aim to support the education sector as it continues to respond to the impact of the pandemic. Grades will not be given as part of these visits. Whilst this news was welcomed by education unions in Scotland, it's likely to provoke further calls by many for Ofsted to take similar action in England. Concerns about rising student debt have been brought to the fore again in an article featured on the website Money Expert. Following a Freedom of Information request from a former student, it's revealed that the largest university debt in the UK is £189,000. In a thread posted on Reddit, dozens of current and former students highlighted the large amounts of interest that are being accrued from student loans. In response to the revelations made, MoneyExpert.com reports that the student loan company responded by saying the examples referred to on Reddit were exceptional cases. The Reddit thread has, however, reignited the debate about student loans and the interest that can be accumulated. The issue is not new, but did become a contentious topic in 2009 when the limit on university tuition fees was raised to £9,000 per year. Recent data has found that those graduating in 2020 had an average debt of £45,060, and the current interest rate is 5.6% which is far higher than the vast majority of personal loan rates available on the high street. The pandemic has also raised questions about the overall value for money of some university courses, where much of the tuition has been delivered online. Finally, many media outlets across the UK are highlighting schools which have featured in Parent Power 2022, the 29th edition of the Sunday Times Guide to Britain's Highest Achieving Primary and Secondary Schools in both the state and independent sector. The guide is published without making use of the results from the Summer 2021 exam series. This is an approach similar to that taken in the previous year and allows for schools differing approaches in calculating teacher and centre assessed grades. See local press for details. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. 
Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, it's 1.56 on Sunday the 5th of December and you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. In today's show, we've already been speaking about rewards and now we're going to move on to speak about whole school sanctions. What works, what doesn't work, what's effective and so on and so forth. Again, it's a delicate balancing act of punishment, I hate that word, punishment, but also restorative practices, surely. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash LSW slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Right, we are back. I've realised I've not even played my transition music at any point during this show. It's rude of me not to allow the new, our listeners. Pete, this is his first listen. He has no idea what I'm talking about. So I'm just going to run it so you have some idea of the flavour of my transition music, Pete. This is like a, how I like to do it on a, on a Sunday afternoon. I definitely talked it up more than it was worth. I, I don't know what you're expecting, but yeah, it was a bit of an anticlimax, I imagine. Um, <laughs> smooth. Yeah, cheers, cheers, cheers. Um, yeah, I got some positive comments in the in the chat from Pete. Um, energy is definitely a word I'd, I'd I agree with. I do like to try and bring some energy on a Sunday afternoon um, for this show and just into just life because energetic things are fun. Right, let's talk about sections now. I, again, I, this is where you guys come in, because you guys, as a collective, have worked in, of course, loads of more, m- more schools than me. Um, I've experienced some interesting approaches to sanctions, um, and the one that I've got at the moment in my school is novel, as in, yeah, it's, it's a novel approach to sanctioning, um, and I do like it, and I'm going to talk about it, but I'm also going to start by speaking about what I've experienced in previous schools. Let me know what you've experienced, maybe like the worst sanction system you've experienced, but also the best, um, and what the features of it were. And that one thing that I think is really important um, when we start talking about sanctions is as far as I'm concerned, sanctions should be the last, last resort after you've tried to do everything, well, I say everything, everything that's reasonable in your power to get the child to do the right thing. I'm a massive proponent of all the kind of interventions, whether it's the non-verbals, whether it's the, the positive reinforcement, whether it's the anonymous corrections, all this kind of stuff. A massive proponent of doing all, everything you can in your toolkit to try and get that child or that young person to do the right thing to the point where if you eventually have to go down the sanction route, it's almost with a kind of apologetic, I'm sorry, I have to go, I'm, I'm, I'm left with no other option. And I think what that, that approach also, first of all, helps to build and maintain positive relationships because I think that the young person will realise that you've actually tried to get them to do the right thing and you hoped they would do the right thing, whether it's, I don't know, stop calling out or, I don't know, um, yeah, just talk off-topic conversations, for example, all these different kind of things. And also, I'd, as one kind of thing to also state, is the best behaviour management is excellent teaching. Just to caveat that in as well, just so anyone listening who's potentially new to the profession um the best behavior management is excellent planning excellent delivery and excellent teaching and i say excellent i just mean well thought out and well delivered you don't need to be an excellent excellent outstanding ugh hate that word um excellent excellent class and practitioner in order to have good behavior management and not need to use sanctions but you do that is the first way 
to deter the need for sanctions in the classroom is to plan well. Anyways, on the topic of sanctions then, I worked in a school um, where they introduced, there was a lot of issues with low-level disruption in the classrooms. So what they decided to do was essentially to, from what I remember, to introduce a kind of sport-inspired yellow card, red card system. And what it meant was, and the, con the most controversial bit of it was, um, let's say period one, so first lesson of the day, the kid might have had a mare. Um, to the point where let's give the teacher the benefit of the doubt, let's say the teacher tried all their different interventions, positive reinforcement, planned well, but the kid just had a mare for whatever reason, um, and they got their yellow card or their red card. If they got a red card, it would mean that they were now out of all lessons for the rest of the day. Um, all lessons for the rest of the day, like they're just out. Um, no chance of getting back in like it was done. It was, it was over. That was their day done. They had to be taken to, um, they were collected, and then they were taken to uh, the dining hall or whatever you want to call it. I think, I think it was the main hall, actually, and they just stayed there. And this wasn't internal exclusion. Let me just make this really clear. And this wasn't for really, it could have been done for not really major things. So it wasn't like, I don't know, fighting a classroom or swearing at a teacher or like absolute in your face defiance, abhorrent defiance. It wasn't for that. It could have been just for mid to low level disruption of a lesson. And the whole, the theory behind it, of course, was, well, if a kid's disrupt one lesson, then they're going to go and disrupt another one. So we need to get them out of this one. And then at least the next lesson could benefit from them not being there. It, as you can imagine, you guys probably hearing it are probably thinking about the pros and the cons. Um, there are there are many cons. <laughs> there are many cons because the kids just missed out on so much learning. And then to the point where, and there was no thought put into the fact that they've missed so much learning and they're going to have to come back in tomorrow to lessons that they weren't present for to then have no idea well relatively no idea what's going on be behind and then if the teacher's not making a conscious effort to catch them up or spending time with them then they're just going to serve the lesson again so the loop just kept happening for some of the low to mid-level disruptive students so that's something i worked in let me know and i just didn't i i didn't like it it didn't sit well with me i didn't like it i didn't it, it's and also it wasn't clear what behavior would result in the kind of red to yellow card thing. It was quite subjective. Um, it was just like warnings. And it was just, if you've given your third warning, rather than it being a detention, it was, you're out for the rest of the day, mate, sorry. Um, so yeah, that was one that I experienced in a previous school that it didn't, it just didn't sit well. I don't think I ever gave a child a red because I don't think they ever got to a point where I thought this has been so disruptive and you're, on, you're having such a nightmare that you're just gonna ruin the day of everyone else. I never thought it got to that point. Um, but other teachers did, and they used it. And I feel like some teachers would use it in a kind of, and yeah, te like te listen, teachers are human. And I feel like some teachers, if they're having a bad day for whatever reason, um, could potentially use it as a way of, if a kid's really ticked them off, um, they just use it disingenuously, I think is the word I'm looking for, which is a shame. But not every teacher, of course, but that did did set that up. Um, and then I've worked in schools where, and this is a, this became a massive bugbear of mine, where detentions were not centralised. I'm assuming in this day and age that most most schools have now realised that centralised detentions are the way to go. But I'm very conscious of the fact that maybe people listening in the room that work in schools where they're still not doing centralised detentions. Um, I'm a massive proponent of them. Um, I don't think 
I think when you, they, they have their cons, but the pros of centralized detention systems surely outstrip um, the cons. And definitely, I think they, out, they massively outweigh the pros of um, pros and cons of teacher-led detentions, is what I'm going to say. I think the argument, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the main things that's really important you need to communicate to kids and young people that if they fail to meet expectations in a classroom, they've failed to meet the expectations of the school. They haven't failed to meet the expectations of the teacher. Then I guess the point is, if it has been just the expectation of the teacher, then there's a question about consistency across the school. So of course that needs to be in place before you start. There's no point having a sanction system if not no points, but sanction systems are being built on sand if there's still not consistency of expectation in the classroom. And then if a kid fails to meet the expectations of teacher A, then they should have failed to meet the expectations of teacher B, C, D, and E. Therefore, your detention isn't one with that teacher. It's a school detention because you've failed to meet our expectations that you have brought into because of our values and culture, blah, blah, blah. So, and then the downside of centralized detentions is it creates a way for teachers to, yes, distance themselves from restoring the relationship. When you would have, I remember when I used to have detentions where it was, I had to set my own and then I have to bring them back at lunch or after school to be with me or with the department is actually more, um, was more relevant actually, is more of what it was. We had mass detentions, for example. You could then obviously go in, you speak to the child, you could spend some time restoring the relationship and that is, most of the time, that is more powerful than the detention itself. But I still think there's value in taking the child's time away, whether it's lunchtime or after school. I feel like there are some schools that do, that have a massive emphasis on restorative practices and they say, well, we're gonna do restorative and all restorative and only restorative and we're gonna get rid of detentions. And I feel like that's a dangerous game to play. Um, because I don't know, I thought, why do I, I don't know. Is that just because I'm conditioned to expect there to be detentions? Cause I've always just known there to be detentions or is it because there should be a tangible, well, I say tangible, yeah, a tangible negative consequence for negative behavior. All the time, probably not, but I think there should be some sort of consequence. And the two can go hand in hand. I think the best systems will make time or will have a kind of nice balance of punitive sanctions, but restorative conversations. Does that need to happen every single time? No but I think it's worthwhile school leaders and middle leaders and everything else, establishing a culture where teachers are encouraged. I'm not gonna go as far as expected, but I think encouraged and understand, encouraged to go and have the conversations with a pupil that may have had a, a, a bad time in the lesson, doesn't need to be 15 minutes long, could be five, and then having a positive restorative conversation, that's not just another telling off, but it's actually a looking forward conversation to say, right, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? What am I going to do? What are we going to do? Because we're a team here. What are we going to do to make sure next lesson is more positive? That's the framing. But for that to happen, teachers need to understand the science behind it and be trained in it. It's all well and good saying, right, we need all staff to therefore have restorative conversations with their kids when they've messed about um, or had a bad lesson. And then if you don't actually create consistency in our staff are dealing with it, then it's going to undermine the whole process because then kids will have one experience of restorative conversation that's a negative one and maybe one that's positive and then another negative and they'll lose faith in the system. So I think that's sanction for sanction's sake with no follow-up is pretty pointless. Um, 
And it's always the kind that you would, you would do it when it's a big thing. If it's like a big fight or a, a big disruption in the classroom, you would definitely arrange a sit down with the kid or the parent or both or the form teacher. You would do it. But then do we create opportunities in school for the, the kid who had a mildly disruptive lesson just to try and think, right, what happened there? Let's unpick it. Was it that you didn't get the work? Was it that you were genuinely just in a silly mood? What could you have done differently? What could we have done differently? What could I have done differently? And that's me speaking as a kind of, as a teacher. Um, but then what stands in the way of that? Time again, surely. Um, and yeah, it needs to be a cultural thing, doesn't it? It needs to be ingrained. It needs to be top down. It needs to be, but there needs to be the science of it. And there needs to be buying from staff to understand why it's not just to tick a box. There's a genuine reason why it's more beneficial to have restorative conversations in tandem with sanctions, in my opinion, not instead of, I think in tandem with, because you should, in the same way if a child misbehaves at home and you're a parent, um, if they're aware that the consequences exist, you should follow through with them so that, yes, you have the conversations, but also they realize they have a deterrent. Yeah, having a restorative conversation doesn't sound like a deterrent to me. Um, but yeah, there's been some messages in the chats. So let's see, that was me rambling on for a little bit. Um, uh, Pete's come back in and saying PPA planning can be as much about talking to students away from their own classroom and a different mental space than immediate, um, than immediate aftermath of an incident. Agreed. Um, again, I don't know how, it just needs to be a cultural thing, doesn't it? You can't, would you expect, do you think all teachers would feel positive about being directed to use PPA um, to have, you would hope so, wouldn't you? <laughs> to have the, the restorative conversations. I do wonder. Some are quite, some, I know some teachers are very precious about the PPA, and rightly so, because you don't get a lot of it. Um, to use it to say, right, this is an opportunity where no one's going to call me to do anything. So let me crack on with planning, for example. Um, so I do, I do wonder. It is, yeah, it, I think Pete's come back in. The logic is clear, and he's just saying that time pressures blur the lines. And it does, it does come back to time. Um, but I think, as I was saying previously, if you if you upskill the staff enough to understand its value, then people make time for what's important, but they just first need to understand why it's important. So I guess that's my kind of counter to it. Um, but yeah, that again, it just comes from top down, doesn't it? It's all leadership. It's all leadership. And when I get, it's a different thing for me because I was an SLT when I first started doing this. Um, on Teacher Talk Radio, shout out to Tom Rogers. When I first got on the Teacher Talk Radio, I wasn't a member of SLT. I had a whole school responsibility, but wasn't like a, an official SLT member. And I guess my, my thinking has changed now because I'm all thinking, right, how am I going to now strategize everything to make sure that it's not just an initiative that's implemented um, for implementation's sake and without much thought? Because if it is, it's just going to fall by the wayside and not going to work. So if it is important, you need to demonstrate that to staff and staff need to buy in and need to understand why it's important. Um, thank you for people that are liking the show and everything else. And Pete says he agrees um, with me on the point around upskilling staff. But that's what pastoral CPD is for. <laughs> that's the thing. That's what I'm talking about. Pastoral CPD. We don't have enough. Well, again, in my experience, there's not been enough of it restorative conversations. If you imagine every teacher in a school was trained in how to have positive, restorative conversations with kids to rebuild or maintain positive relationships with kids, that could be transformative. 
that could be absolutely like we're talking because we work we've all worked in schools where some are more naturally just good at doing it some are actually not very good at doing it at all and just don't understand maybe they don't have the connection but there needs to be like i think that's transformative i haven't got the evidence to back it up um but time needs to be dedicated to it and you need to look at your training calendars and everything else if you are a leader of a school and if you do think it's important if you do think it's transformative then maybe you need to park some of the other initiatives going on and say do you know what we're going to focus on this now and we're going to dedicate time to doing it and we're going to train you so that you understand why we're doing it and then the kids are going to realize um they're just going to reap the benefits and then it's going to be happier, happier life for everyone, happier life for staff and students. <laughs> um, appreciate that, TSCW. I keep, what should I call you? I keep calling you TSCW. I feel like I know what your name is. I've just forgotten, so I do apologize. Um, I will just call you TSCW as, you, as that's the name that keeps coming up, but it's just a bit long to say. You said that's fine. You just want to live in, live in blissful anonymity. I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. Um, <laughs> I don't, it's one of those things with teachers, isn't it? That I, I made when I when I decided to go with my my Twitter handle with my first name, and it's very easy to to search me on. And if you wanted to find my Twitter and you're a kid, you could find it easily. Um, and I just make sure that I don't tweet anything that's just reckless, I guess. Um, but there's a lot of teachers that do value the anonymity for obvious reasons. For obvious reasons, look at the what's happened recently on the TikTok saga and everything else. Like it's. <laughs> TikTok. Right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Right. TSCW. TSCW said, maybe I shouldn't even read this out. To if I read it out, does that is that just counter is that counterproductive? Um what I will say to you is it's surely you're able to speak about your experiences in a way that obviously doesn't let us know what school or whatever else. Um but um, you, if you haven't got long, like the clock is ticking, we've got 15 minutes, if that. So I'd be, I just want to hear, I think you should even call in. If I'm honest, TSCW should call in. If you call in, then I don't know, then, then it's just immortalized forevermore on Spotify, actually. But maybe, uh, I don't know if we've got, we got any voice changes. No, we don't have any voice changes. Um, I haven't got any idea for you, but I think if you've got a lot to say on the topic, type in. <laughs> Do you know when you have those? When on the news, when they have the uh, the interviews with someone who doesn't want to be named, and they're just all in a, they're in the shadows, and all their voices changing. I think we could do that for you. If I could talk to Tom Rogers, if we could get that, um, talk to Podbean and see if Podbean can add that in. Because from what I gather, Twitter, what's it called? Twitter Spaces has. Ah, I see. Twitter Spaces has a way to change voices. So we could maybe get see if Podbean does. And TSCW has said my school is in a special category, especially for this. So I'm assuming around culture, climate, behavior, and so on and so forth. It's a diff. Listen, what's the fix? I don't. It's because obviously the the standard fix is change the leadership, and then that can work, of course. But that alone is not going to do anything because kids get into so many habits, and their behaviors become so habitual that just a change of leadership. Um, won't do it and I guess it's yeah it's just stripping it's stripping everything back but I don't I think there's a school that I know of in um, in West London and then it was really struggling behavior wise and then it got taken over by a multi-academy trust who had a very strong reputation for instilling really kind of uh, disciplined routines for conduct and everything else and 
from what I remember hearing, as soon as it, when the multi academy trust came in and tried to implement things that had worked in their previous schools, the kids just went no, kind of like they just went nah. they just went no because it became so unfortunately defiance had become so ingrained and so in like not even the minority anymore in the I won't, I won't go far as saying the majority but in two in a significant minority of students that it just they just didn't buy in they just had they were so ingrained in just not following instructions for whatever reason so i don't have i don't have, i don't have the solution but but then that's what they do something that, that's the kind of um the cynical view of multi-academy trust is they come in they get inverted commas they get rid of the bad kids and then they build from there because they say ah well we need to we need to build it from the ground up but you've got some really really defiant ones we can't even we, they're too defiant <laughs> they're too defiant for us let's get rid of those that's the the warped impression i say warped i think it does happen and i've heard of it happening um but that's what some multi-academy trusts do when they take over um schools that are um that aren't doing so well. And Pete, thank you. Just seeing Pete saying, have a great Sunday, guys. I know you got to go. Go enjoy your dinner. Um, tell mum we say hi. Let us know what you, what, what you made. If it's gravy, make sure you have lashings and lashings of gravy. There's no Sunday dinner without lashings and lashings of gravy. Um, so thank you for, for tuning in, Pete. Really, really appreciate it. And hope you tune in again. Um, I'm on every week. And we'll talk about pastoral things. I think you need to be a guest as well, Pete. We need to hook that up. Um, and we can talk about something that's pertinent to the pastoral world. And yeah, TSCW's come back on the yeah, TSCW's come back on the talk about uh, multi academy trust and said they build a sync school in the local area by default. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know what. Has anyone worked or known of a school that has been really transformative in terms of um, culture was completely wrong, behavior was completely wrong, issues and everything else, but then they managed obviously over time. And I just wonder what the, what the, I say the trick, what was the, and not even the secret, what happened? I do wonder, like, I just don't know enough. I don't read enough on the, on the news front to be aware of all these um, transformative journeys. And I hope it wasn't just getting rid of the bad kids, for example. So I do. Yeah, that's it. It's rebranding, isn't it? It is rebranding. And that, but that, yeah, that's just surface level. <laughs> This rebranding is surface level. But yeah, I get what you mean. It's not it's something and as cynical as it sounds for me, if you don't when a school well, I guess when a school is first established, no, clearly not. But it's something that I know a school I used to work with tried they realised they had an issue with their year groups um conduct. So what they tried to do was say they said, you know what, we're not gonna be able to have a transformative impact on our years nine, ten, elevens. But the incoming year sevens won't know any different kind of thing. So what they tried to do, and I laugh about it, and it's harsh to laugh, but I don't mean to laugh about it because it's actually, it was a good, I get why they would have, um, they would have tried this because it's better than trying to do it with every year group. What they tried to do was implement certain norms with the incoming year sevens that were different to what everyone else was doing. So for example, I don't know, line up, for example, I think something they, they organized, they, they said, right, all year sevens now need to do line up um, while the rest of the school wasn't doing line up. But then anyone with a bit of forethought and has worked in a school should have in their leadership meetings, and this is me thinking, I'd have been like, mm, good idea, but they're, they're gonna just see other kids doing 
stuff and then just be influenced by it. So I get it, but it did, as you can imagine, it didn't work. They had to, they, they just canned it, they pulled it because it wasn't working. So, and it is one of those things, like, I don't want to say, oh, if you don't get it right from the ground up, then you're not going to get it right at all. But you've got to set out with the right, you've got to set the stall out from the start. So how do you change? What is the, what is the trick? If you've got a school that's got a culture ingrained of, of low level disruption, defiance and so on, what is it? I don't know. Um, Sobia said that she did work in, a, she worked as supply in a school um, who did establish from ground up. And they started from behavior first. Um, yeah, indeed. Well, culture, in it, that's it. Culture, values, ethos. Um, well, I say it's in tandem with behavior, but behavior is guided by principles. You behave because you buy into whatever we're trying to achieve as a school and what, we're trying to, what we want you to achieve as an individual as well. So you need to get the buy-in. And, and then you say, right, well, if you agree with what we're trying to achieve, then these are the norms of the way you behave, whether it's in the... The, the courtyard or the playground, going to lessons at the start of lessons, end of lessons, and then you keep that consistent. So I guess maybe, I don't know, for example, if you've got a school that has issues of low level disruption across the board, maybe you create a norm of, um, I don't know, silent starts to lesson. I don't know. Something that I've just gone for that because it's familiar to me. Something that is manageable, it's doable. It's not like a whole scale. It's not like a massive change to all lessons, but maybe it's something where we say, right, hold it. We know as teacher professionals that the start of a lesson can often cascade and define how the rest of the lesson goes. But also stuff that happens on the corridor can define what happens, what goes on in your classroom. So I don't know, when you take over, you can't, there's no point doing a whole scale um, rebrand of everything at once because then there's too many things to focus on. And the teachers just get overwhelmed and get lost in, in all the new systems. Um, and then rather than implementing things, rather than implementing lots of things well, they implement lots of things really badly. So surely you'd rather that they implemented a few things well. And you focus on getting that right. If it is beginnings to lessons, then you have to establish the norms, explain to the kids why it's happening, and then explain to them what will happen if you don't meet those expectations. And then it's just about consistency and monitoring and revamping if it's not working and change like rethinking it and remodeling the whole time i don't know i'm just this is me just free i say freestyling thinking about a problem what i'd do um if i was suddenly parachuted in to try and deal with a school that had um issues around consistent low-level disruption across the board across the board i do wonder um, thanks everyone that's liking the show. We've not got long, got about seven minutes to go. Um, I end up talking about, I'm not even talking about sanction anymore. Um, I did have, I had so many articles open that I wanted to speak about. And one of them, so I got this from seced.co.uk. So I shouted out seced last week because I've, I've stumbled across it. I've stumbled across their Twitter as well recently. And I've just been very impressed with their articles. Um, and I've got in touch with one of the people that is the author of one of the articles. And of course, I've invited him to be on one of my shows just so we can talk about stuff. Um, and then they're just talking about, they have a category, well, not category, they've got an article around behavior management and they talk about rewards and sanctions. And they say, broadly speaking, behavior management strategies fall into three categories. See if you agree. Uh, category one is preventative, um, which though we, schools need to have strategies that prevent misbehavior from occurring. 
which includes being clear about what is expected of pupils and what will happen if those expectations are not met. That's vital. What's the point in having sanctions if you're not clear on what you want kids to do? What's the point? You're just going to be sanctioned until the cows come home. So again, if I were to, if, you, if you've got a school that's struggling with their behavior, can you collaborate with the students and the staff to establish some manageable norms around the school and then consequences of what will happen if the norms are not met? But it needs to not be an overwhelming number of norms because otherwise it's pointless. You're not doing a lot of things really poorly. So yeah, so that's preventative. So the best, the best behavior management is preventative. I agree. Same with safeguarding. The best safeguarding is preventative as well. Um, then it says, yeah, preventative is one strategy for behavior management. Then it's also got, of course, corrective. And it says you have to have strategies which correct misbehavior once it's occurred, um, which includes making it clear that the pupil has misbehaved and sanctioning them. That needs, I've always thought that needs to be an element. I don't think that it's right to take the actual, the, the punitive measure away because I feel like it, what's the reason for it? I feel like it just, does it downplay the thing? I feel like it downplays it. Students need to feel that they've done something that's not in keeping with the values. And yes, you can feel that with a, tel with a telling off and you can feel that with, well, maybe there's a telling off, I guess. Um, but a loss of privilege is also a way that most kids feel that they've done something wrong, whether it's losing their lunch or whatever else, or not being able to go home with their, with their friends after school um, at the same time as them. But what happens is they just wait outside for school. They wait outside of school for their mates to come out of detention anyway. Oh, it's funny times. And then the third kind of category for behavior management is an important one. Well, they're all important. And it says supportive. And it's saying that you need to have strategies which actually involve working with a pupil after they've misbehaved in order to identify why they misbehave and how they can avoid doing so again. So I advise you, if you're listening or you're working in a school, does your school have preventative, corrective, and supportive behavior management strategies? Sanctions are just one part of dealing with behavior. That's just corrective. But you need the preventive and the supportive as well. So if you are a school leader or you're thinking about getting into the kind of pastoral world or anything else, or you're just listening back and you're thinking, ah, my school hasn't got, my school's a bit low on the supportive, then speak to someone and say, oh, I was listening to Teach Talk Radio. <laughs> I was to Teach Talk Radio on a Sunday and then this guy was just talking about supportive measures to, to, to try and counteract behavior issues in school. And I don't feel like we have loads of those. And he seems very convincing about it. Do so, I've not got the ev educate not educational, the evidence, the scientific evidence for it. Do your own reading and your own research and that kind of stuff. This is just an article. And then it goes on. Um, it goes a bit more detail. It says preventative behavior management is about having a pupil contract or clear set of rules. I like the word expectations. Um, rules, yes, fair enough. But expectations are more positive rather than these are the rules. No, these are what we expect. And we're going to do our best to make sure you get there. Not these are the rules that you must follow. We expect this of you for this reason. Frame it that way. Mrs. Oh, I saw you, seen you entered the chat. I wonder if you hope you're still there. It's great to see you in as always. Um, and then, the, then it goes on to say, it's all about how your classroom is organized, of course. Talks about seating plans and activities to that challenge and support in equal measure, having appropriate pace and variety and right resources, which basically in a nutshell saying the best, the best behavior management is good teaching agreed knowing your kids knowing what they struggle with knowing what they what motivates them knowing who struggles academically in this topic 
creating things that's going to give them success the moment they walk into the room. That's the best way to manage behavior. If a kid knows they're going to learn, the kid knows they're going to experience some sort of success in your classroom and in every classroom, then they're more likely to engage, in my opinion. Um, then it then goes on and talks about corrective behavior management, and that's about um, being consistent in the discipline and the fair application of sanctions. And it's also about following up. If a kid doesn't, there's, I don't know how many of you work in schools where there's a there's a gap, like, I don't know, maybe the kids miss detentions and it just gets lost in the ether. And sometimes they don't, they're not always held to account for missing detention. I know that's happened in previous schools that I've worked in and that undermines everything. So it's really important that you, if detentions are important, then attending them is important. If you don't attend them, there should be an escalation of some sorts. I feel like that's a norm in most schools. And then to end on what I really value is supportive behavior management. And that's about what happens after you've corrected people's behavior. It's about exploring while a pupil misbehaved in the first place in order to avoid a repeat. It's about setting out what's expected of the pupil next and agreeing to a new contract. Those that needs to be signed. Um, and then agreeing to maybe means of avoiding misbehavior. And one thing that I'd also say is supportive gives a student a chance to voice their side of events as well. Don't just make it all about you, the teacher. Um, if you want to have supportive behavior management after the misbehavior, the child, in my opinion, should guide the conversation because kids aren't stupid. They know when they've misbehaved most of the time. They just need to be guided to have gone that kind of journey of self-reflection where they say, ah, you know what? Yeah, I did a bit. I shouldn't have done that because of X, Y, Z. And I did that because of X, Y, Z. And the impact was X, Y, Z. If you can guide a kid on that journey, that's far more powerful than just saying, you messed about, you got an hour after school, I'll see you tomorrow, mate, that kind of stuff. On that note, those that are joining the studio, thanks for joining, but we are now finished. If you want to listen, listen back to this show or any other of the shows on Teach Talk Radio, you head to www.ttradio.org forward slash listen back. Or you can follow us on Twitter at TT Radio 2021. We're getting to the end of 2021. Tom Rogers, are we going to be TT Radio 2022? I do wonder. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, um, I don't always talk about serious stuff. I give you, a, I talk about nonsense most of the time on Twitter, to be fair. <laughs> it's at Khalil underscore R91. Um, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the show. Next week, we may have another pastoral CBD clinic. I hope you might have a guest so you don't have to just hear me drone on for 18 pages front and back. Um, but yeah, I'll catch you guys on the other side and I'll see you guys next week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag Pastoral CPD on Twitter. I'm, oh, I'm using it. We're going to take over the world. <laughs> Hashtag Pastoral CPD on Twitter. Get at me if you have any ideas for different shows about pastoral issues. Be more than happy to hear from you. Have a great rest of your Sunday, guys. Adios.